Father, we thank you this morning that as we gather, it is coming into your presence. And as we worship together, you are holy, you are set apart, you are alone in all things to be magnified and exalted. And as we come to you now, we want to open your word, and I pray that it would speak to us, that your spirit would take what is said here and what I would say, and would apply these things to our hearts and to our lives, help us to make sense of them only as you can make sense for them. God, direct us, we pray, in all these things, the glory of Christ that might be displayed in our hearts and lives. Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you at uh, James North Baptist Church, and we are in the book of Colossians. We've been here for a little while. We're going to be finishing off the next several weeks. We're in Colossians chapter 3 today, which is uh, culminating a whole series that started just before Christmas. We took a couple of weeks off at Christmas but the last several weeks, we've been looking and working our way through this chapter. One writer has said this about chapter 3, that in this chapter, we are exhorted to take hold of our new creational lifestyle. Now, that was an excellent phrase describes this, that we are new creations, and there is a lifestyle that is being uh, implored upon us that is birthed out of that new creation. Verse 10 of chapter 3 says this, that we are putting on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. A new self. And that's really what has been described for us. And I'm going to review just a little bit this first opening uh, uh, part, verses 1 through 21 for us, or 1 through 17, I guess, just to remind us of a context that I think is so important for what we are going to be talking about in today's uh, sermon. So in verses 1 to 4, we have this new self-thinking. It's about a new worldview. We set our minds and our hearts that are on things above. We focus our lives on the resurrected and returning Savior, Jesus Christ. So the focus of our hearts and lives is always uh, called upon to have an eternal perspective to it, an eternal life perspective, not just the sense of eternity to come, but eternal life. Eternal life begins now in Jesus Christ for me. And so I live in light of that. Verses 5 to 14, this new creational lifestyle. There's a perspective that comes from the shedding of things. It says, put to death some things and bring on new clothing. We are to lay aside parts of our sin nature that keep us bound up and unable to know the fullness of Jesus Christ in our lives. Other, and instead, we are to put on this new set of clothing provided for us through the righteousness of Christ and his character, and his image that is in us. In uh, the message written by Eugene Peterson, his kind of paraphrased translation of the New Testament, he puts these verses this way, and I just like just its familiarity, and we understand this. He says, you're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you've stripped off and put in the fire. That's the putting to death. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. And every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator. It has His label on it. And all the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, 
dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. I like how he says this. Wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. <laughs> love, our basic, our, just the basic all-purpose. It's that overcoat that just has to be worn all the time. This is the new creational lifestyle that we are called to as followers of Jesus Christ. And then the next few verses, which Pastor Dwayne's covered over the last couple of weeks, our defining attitude is spelt out. The defining attitude is that the peace of Christ rules in our heart. Peace is that mark of a Christian's life, forgiveness being the prerequisite to enjoying that peace. And once clothed in peace and marked, or clothed with love and marked by peace, we're then called finally to let the message of Christ dwell within us, to take up residence, to be at home within us. His message, His character, His truth coming out in our conversations, our encouragements, our singing. In fact, verse 17 ends with, in everything we do, whatever we do, it will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a new creational lifestyle that the fullness of Christ would spring out of us as we live totally under His Lordship and in the power of His dwelling Spirit within us, the richness of His Word taking residence and spilling out into all kinds of things in our lives. Wow, that is such an incredible picture. And can we imagine just for a little while what that would look like in our lives if the Spirit really got a hold of us for that kind of lifestyle. Well, I'm glad you asked, because Paul goes on to explain it. That's what he does in the next section. He takes a block or a foundational block of our society at the very heart of who we are, the building block, the family, and he says, here's how that would play out. The basic household unit. In Paul's day, this was made up of three fundamental relationships. The husband and the wife, parents and children, and masters and slaves. And from chapter 3, verse 18, through to chapter 4, verse 1, he's going to deal with those three categories. Today, we're going to think about the first two. Next week, Dwayne will talk about masters and slaves. So, today, husbands, wives, children, parents... What does it look like for you to set your minds above, being transformed in your spiritual nature, with Christ dwelling in your lives, pleasing Him in everything, in that relationship of your homes? As I was reading about this this week, I read a little story of a girl who went to see the movie Cinderella, and she was thrilled with it, and the princess idea, and the prince theme, and meeting her you know, the prince charming and all excited she came home was talking to her about it with her grandmother. Now she was talking to her grandmother and kind of spilling out the whole story and how excited she was and how it was all ending. The grandmother said, and I know how it all ended. They lived happily ever after. And the little girl stopped and said, oh, no, no, grandma. They got married. <laughs> yeah, 
put a little different slant on it. She didn't know what she was saying, but I'm sure the grandmother responded as you did. You go, whoa, yeah, there is a truth in that, isn't there? I mean, marriage gets a bad rap. Marriage is an easy target because it too often has turned into less than what God has intended for it to be. And the relationship of children and parents gets stretched to breaking points far too often. These are not easy relationships that God calls us into. And so the Apostle Paul is now going to unfold centuries of wisdom and grace for families working to follow the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's going to unpack all of this for us. So in verses 18 to 21, here's how he unpacks it. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Enough said, eh? I mean, that, that's it. Wives submit, husbands love, children's obey, fathers build, don't, don't tear down. It's that simple. So now, we'll take the next, you know, 20 minutes, actually maybe 50 years <laughs> to unpack that. I mean, that just, it sounds oversimplified, doesn't it? I mean, Paul, come on, how can you say that that's all that needs to be said as you're unpacking this for us here this morning? You mean just four little commands? Well, Paul did, and so we will too. And let me say that after my 40 years of marriage, three kids, soon to be three kids-in-law, four grandkids, when I can live out the two commands that apply directly to me as husband and father, and those in my family circle live out the ones that apply to them, there is no doubt that we experience the fullness of Christ richly dwelling among us, and we are blessed. These four commands form such a kernel for us that if we are to follow them, we will understand the fullness of Christ among us. In the brief time that we do seriously have this morning, I'm going to make some broad comments about these passages and then kind of zero in on some of the particulars of them, just in a little bit at the end, because I think they, it's one of those passages, I mean, these are simple enough for us just to follow. Wives submit, husbands love, children obey, fathers don't embitter or build up your kids. But how we work them out, of course, is this lifelong process. So the broad comments first. First of all, I want you to remember this, that these commands are for spirit-filled followers of Christ. That's why I took time to build us through the context of this, uh, this whole chapter. I mean, that's where Paul has been working at. He's been telling us this is what Christ followers are. This is the new creational lifestyle for us. Set your mind with Christ and His resurrection and His coming back. Take off that which tears down, which, built, which takes you away from Christ and put on His clothing. In all of these things, this is for those who are redeemed from sin or being transformed into His likeness. Now, ultimately, these commands make sense for anyone. 
I mean, I could teach this to any, any couple that comes to me for marriage counseling or family counseling or help with your kids. These are the foundational truths that God has designed us for. But I mean, they need God's Spirit and His transforming presence within us for them to ultimately make sense or, in a sense, for us to make them possible. Because each one of these commands, I think, flies in the face of sinless selfishness, of personal rights, and self-protection. But Jesus usually leads us that way, doesn't he? I mean, we usually stand out and apart from the world if we're going to follow him in lordship. I mean, Jesus, the righteousness of his life is, is so counterintuitive to what sin teaches us. I mean, perhaps that first command, wives, submit to your husbands, raises the most hackles in our day. I mean, the cry, there's fighting words in some circles. Women have risen above that by now, haven't they? Isn't this just another case of the Bible being out of touch? It's written by biased men and all of those kind of conversations. What's interesting, when you read about this passage and these commands, in the first century... It's really the men that were crying out against Paul. The men were crying out about Paul and going, Paul, are you nuts? <laughs> Have you lost your senses that this is the command to men? That's not what makes households work. That's not what makes households work in our culture. Men need to be those who rule and, and have dominance and all those kind of things. Paul, you are counterintuitive here. See, the point is, whoever's reading this, I think in whatever culture through all the years of Christianity, have struggled with these verses in some way. Because the point that Paul is making is he elevates the role of each part of the family into an equality of personhood. It's a reflection of verse 11. Back in verse 11, he writes this, that in the realm of Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and is in all. You see, Christ elevates us all into an equal place before him. And for Paul to talk to women, children, and slaves as independents in this passage was also revolutionary even consider them as, as a class of people that should be talked to. And then for him to say that men were in any way less than authoritarian rulers was the breaking of cultures. See, that's the context that we still face today. The context is these are lordship of Christ issues for us. And woven into the fabric of these commands is a focus on what is fitting in the Lord or what pleases the Lord. And it will always be in some way against the grain of our fallen world's culture. See, this is God's word. And we're to let it dwell in our hearts richly. And let it take root so that it takes up residence and that we are able to obey it and understand his presence through it. Second broad comment, looking at all four of these is, they're not isolated commands. In a sense, they're a package deal. I would also include masters and slaves that we'd look at next week. It forms a complete picture for us of what it is to live within the household. It's the inner working of really a, a society. It's the building block that's there. It's not to say that we don't take individual responsibility. It's not to say that we each probably fit into one of these categories or a couple of these categories, and we have to be responsible for what Christ calls us to. 
But when both halves are working is when you understand the fullness of Christ and how they are woven together. This is a carefully constructed passage. In fact, when you look at this passage and compare it to some other writings of the day of Paul and also other scriptural writings, some would say that this might have been a part of a larger catechism, you know, a set of, of readings that were to be memorized to teach some doctrinal instructions for, uh, for the church. And so you can't just take one command out or one part of a command and have it make sense. Wives submit is in the context of loving husbands. Children obey is in the context of parents set on building them up. And there may be times when these responses need to be modified in the face of sin, abuse, or disloyalty to God, but they are to be carried out as fitting in the Lord or how it is pleasing to God. Adjustments might need to be made, but at the heart of them, they are are there for us to follow and to understand how they all work together. And in a Christian home and with those who are following Christ and and looking for how he can develop uh, his presence among us, it's a tapestry that comes together that forms a beautiful picture of the fullness and growth in Jesus Christ and belonging together in him as a family together and as the family of God. So you can't read this as isolated commands where I just take what I'm supposed to do But you have to take it and understand how I fit into the rest of the commands and what is being expected of me, but also how it helps the others as they would keep keep following Christ in their commands. And so then that leads me to a third kind of large comment, is that as you look at these commands, we need to understand that each one of these commands is being given to us to be followed, not enforced. Did you catch that? They are given so that I follow them. I don't enforce them or I don't force them on someone else. See, these are, in a sense, gifts that are being given. We give to our counterparts. It's never meant to be a hammer that I use to get them into shape. I mean, I can never wield the hammer of submission to get my way in my household. I can never say, honey, Today, this is the way it's going to be, because the Lord commands you to submit. How far do you think that gets me? <laughs> Not very far at all, right? Because it's, it's a hammer that I wield. It's not mine to wield in the life of my wife or wives. You know, to say to your husband, the Lord commands you to love me. Stop watching the football game. You know, stop getting into that activity or get the garbage out for me or just sit and listen to me. Spend some time. See, it's not a hammer. I don't wield this as if I'm in the one of control of these commands. They are gifts that are being given. Rather than these being the hammer that I use, they are gifts that are given to me in the following of my beloved in their following of Jesus Christ. You see, rather it's this way. Submission is a gift given by spirit-filled women in humility to a husband who is seeking her best as he serves her in love. When all the time her broken nature is driving for the security of control. Did you get that? Submission is a gift given in humility to a husband that's seeking to love to the best of his ability. 
and it goes against the nature of a drive for security and control. Love is a gift given by a spirit-filled man in service to a wife who lines up with him in humility when all the time his broken nature seeks to dominate and self-protect and self-preserve. It goes against who we want to be. Love is that gift of a spirit-filled man in service to a wife. Obedience is a gift. Obedience is a gift given by spirit-filled kids who understand that the following or understand that following the lead of parents is pleasing to God, who's created them. And more than just obedience to their parents, they are saying to God, "We will follow you." by lining up in submission, in obedience to our parents, when all the time their frail, broken sin nature seeks independence, seeks rebellion, seeks to strike out on their own. Parents, specifically fathers in this passage, we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, parents who build their children rather than embitter them are giving a gift. It's a gift of themselves and time and energy and attention. When their broken nature seeks selfish desires and would seek time on their own and seeks their own fulfillment. You see, these commands call us to be giving. Husbands do not demand submission. They fearfully and humbly receive it. Wives do not demand love, but they gratefully acknowledge and take it. Parents graciously accept obedience, building up their kids rather than breaking them down. And I would suggest to you that this is only in a spirit-filled capacity that we can do this. And it's only as we cry out to God to build us up in Christ that we can do this. In my premarital times with couples, I usually in my conversation with them try to talk to them about a misconception that often gets thrown around about marriage. Marriage is often talked about as being a 50-50 relationship. And there's some nice truth to that, but actually it's dead wrong. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-0. See, marriage is all about what I pour into it. And in a sense, it's not about anything I get back. Anything I get back is gravy. But if my wife, in her capacity in following Christ, is also able to live in a sense of 100 to 0, then you see how we can come together as Christ has designed us to be. 50-50 always says there's some moment of negotiation where I feel like I'm not getting what I deserve. You know, that I'm being let down in some way. I'm not getting my fair share out of this. And it's destroying. It's embittering. It's those things when I start to demand, I start to say, you need to submit. And she starts saying, and you need to love. You see, the command to me as the husband is, love your wife. As the father, it's don't embitter your children. Build them up. And that's spirit-filled living. And that's the call of Paul upon our lives as he writes this. One last big comment. Understand that what these commands are seeking to overcome goes back to the Garden of Eden. It goes back to the very fall of humanity. It goes back to our very sin nature. You see, it's all about new creational lifestyle. 
What feels so natural to our fallen selves has to be overcome with the new creation. It has to be put to death. We need this new set of clothes. Dwayne started the service by reading that passage out of Genesis 2 where the creation takes place and Adam and Eve are brought into the story. Genesis 3 is where the fall takes place and sin enters into creation and the very human nature is broken. And sin enters the story of humanity, the heart of which is selfishness and self-protection. And so man and woman who were created to fulfill each other, to be the image bearers of God, equally unfolding the character of God to each other as they are cared for, they care for each other, as they nurture and they protect each other through their unique roles and complementary natures. Instead, sin breaks through. And they retreat into fear and accusation and doubt against each other. No longer naked and unashamed, but now covering up and deceiving each other. And the curse of sin in Genesis 3.15 takes effect and is announced to them. And if you look at that curse as it's especially expressed to the woman and the man, you understand the brokenness of humanity, the brokenness of the image of God, and Paul speaks to it here. Woman is no longer able to give herself fully to her husband, but rather in her desire for care, which is unfulfilled, she seeks to control. Man is no longer able to trust his wife, so he retreats into domination and not love, unfulfilled in his selfish labor. See, these commands of Paul are not casual responses to culture. They strike at the very heart of our transformation into new creature, new creation people. They speak to how we overcome the fall in Christ. How we overcome is this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. They are mutually fulfilling commands. Wives, you are called to voluntarily line up with your husbands. Literally, that's what submission means that you line up with him and you give yourself to him to follow him in a voluntary action. One writer tried to paint it in this way, that we are all actors in a great play. And all of us are assigned to different roles. And it's not a commentary on the quality or the worth of the individual actors. Rather, it is a comment on how the director, how the producer is putting it all together so that the actors fulfill their suitability and the sustainability in making the play come alive. This is how God has designed us. He has, he has, he has created this great play for us to be a part of and has created us in this way. And so wives are to submit as is fitting in the Lord, understanding their first alliance is with Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5 spells that out. It's sacrificial love. It's a serving love. It's an undergirding love. But he adds here, and do not be harsh with them. It's an interesting phrase, which literally means don't become bitter towards your wife. It's really that expression of saying, when she lets you down, you're not, you, you can't sulk, you can't fume, you can't grumble. From that irritation, you need to guard yourself from an embittered response. Bitterness really comes out twice in these commands. 
Husbands being harsh with their wives is at a root of bitterness. And in verse 21, it talks about not embittering your children. Bitterness in relationships is such a dangerous thing for us. It's why forgiveness is such a, it's such a mark that gets mentioned in verses 15 through 17. To forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Bitterness cannot be allowed to taint our relationships. And children... If you're still listening, kids, still there in the room, it's a very simple thing. Obey your parents in everything. But why? Because it pleases the Lord. You see, if you're able to please your parents, understand that the pleasure is more the Lord's than it is your parents. And parents, we are to bring up our kids and help them in ways that we do not embitter them. We are to build them up. I think Paul, as he talks to the next section of verse 21, he says, Fathers, don't embitter your children. The word literally is fathers. It can be translated parents. He's not leaving mums out of this. But I think he's saying fathers particularly because he's understanding there is a headship. There, is a, there are roles that we play. And the role of the father in the hearts of his children is a very important one. And it needs to be built on. They need to give gifts of themselves and time and energy and attention. And it's really the heart of this second phrase, that children become discouraged or disheartened. We need to guard our kids' hearts. We can't be so overbearing and, and put so many demands on them that we create within them the feeling that it's impossible for them to please. See, that's what discouragement is. That's to be disheartened. And it connects entirely with that, what pleases the Lord. We need to help our kids understand that they can please God. And if we weigh too much on them so they feel they can't please, is it that they might start to think they can't please God either? So what does the family living in a new creational lifestyle look like in the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents in everything. And fathers, do not embitter your children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. It is a hard word at times because it strikes to the very core of who we are in our sin nature and in our relationships. But Father, it's also such a simple word. We understand it clearly. I mean, we can spend days and weeks and books and volumes have been written, but Lord, at its core, we understand that you call us to be followers of Christ and to exhibit his character and his life in all things, especially, Father, within our homes. Help us in this, we pray. Amen.